Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. The Trudeau government's latest budget talks of stability and sustainability while trying to address issues of affordability and economic recovery. But does it do all the things Canadians had hoped it would? I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. National Post columnists Jesse Klein and Sabrina Madeau join me to discuss budget highlights, where the budget falls short, and how the Liberal NDP pact factors into the government's spending plan. Don't forget you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, we're even on Amazon Music now. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So heading into this budget, there was a lot of expectations about what it may look like. And a lot of considerations the government had to make. We're talking about economic recovery. We're talking about dealing with inflation. And recently, we're talking about the pact between the Justin Trudeau liberals and the Jagmeet Singh NDP and what the NDP was hoping to get out of that. So I guess for starters, Jesse and Sabrina, what were your initial thoughts of the latest budget from the government. Sabrina, we'll start with you. A lot of people expected it to be a very heavy spending budget. And while, of course, there was spending, I was surprised that it was a bit more prudent than we've seen in liberal budgets of the past. I think, well, they said that the crisis in the Ukraine and Russia's invasion has them spooked and they're not sure about the economic outlook going forward. So I think that reigned in some of the spending, and they didn't even fulfill all of their campaign promises that many people expected to see in the budget. There were some things missing, like from healthcare and defense. I would say that the housing file was underwhelming, but they did finally recognize Canada's major, major problem with innovation and productivity going forward and put some additional investment in there, which was nice to see. Jesse, I've heard some talk around the idea that this is, for by liberal standards, a prudent budget. But, you know, for you, did you get a sense that they were really tightening where they needed to? No, I, I did not. And I agree that it's not as bad as it, it could have been. But that's unfortunately not saying a whole lot. I mean, they're still spending a ton of money. There's going to be a deficit of about $53 billion. And they they included a whole host of new spending programs, um, other big government social programs, you know, tax incentives, higher taxes in other areas, corporate welfare. So no, I see this as a, a typical liberal budget. If they wanted to come out with an austerity budget, they, they should have cut spending or they should have focused spending on areas where we really see the need for it. I mean, the, the past two years have 
um, expose some deep cracks in our healthcare system. There's not a whole lot of more money for healthcare. It did not expose deep cracks in our dental care system. We, we now uh, have the government paying for dental care for a lot of people, and that's only going to expand. So no, I see this as a, a typical liberal budget. They, I think that Canadians have become accustomed to high government spending in recent years, and they took advantage of that. Sabrina, for you, I know an issue that you've been focusing on a lot in your columns recently is the idea of affordability and especially housing affordability in Canada. And there were some measures in the budget to address that, but I get the sense you feel that they didn't necessarily either take the right steps or go far enough. And I'm wondering if you can expand on your thoughts on that. Absolutely. I think they pretty much entirely missed the mark and that Anything they've laid out in the budget isn't going to make a big difference when it comes to housing affordability or especially when it comes to helping young Canadians buy their first homes. They focused a lot on investments in the supply side, but as we've seen in the past, uh, liberal investments in the supply side haven't come to fruition. And the other issue with that is that supply is largely under the jurisdiction of provinces and municipalities, and there didn't really seem to be any concrete way to incentivize provinces or municipalities to really get construction going in a meaningful way that's going to result in a huge number of new homes. I think in the budget, they had said we need like over 3 million new homes in the next decade, and we're not anywhere near getting to that number. And there doesn't seem to be a real plan to get there. And the other big issue is on the demand side. So the eve before the budget, there were all these headlines that there was going to be a foreign buyer ban for two years introduced. And while they are doing that, it's incredibly leaky. There are so many emissions. For example, foreign students will be a major exemption. And we know that foreign students have been a major driver of real estate prices in urban centers like Vancouver and Toronto, that they're often fronts for uh, their parents speculating or even money launderers. And the even bigger exemption is for recreational properties, which can, yes, be a cottage by a lake, but can be anywhere near a ski slope. It can be a condo in a city like a pied-à-terre. It can really be anything that an investor claims is vacation oriented or rec for recreation. So I don't know how they're going to possibly enforce that. And I think that a lot of things are going to skate through and that won't make a major difference. And the really other big thing we saw was this new tax-free savings account for first-time home buyers. But it's just so underwhelming in that it only allows uh, young Canadians to put in $8,000 a year over five years, and it doesn't even start until 2023. So by the time they actually have a small down payment saved up, home prices, if they stay on this track, are going to be so out of reach that it's not going to make any sort of difference at all. So really, there's not much hope on the housing front, unfortunately. What had you hoped to see on that potentially that, that could have made things a little easier for younger Canadians to get into the market? I think that um, surplus demand, especially by speculators and investors, is one of our biggest issues. So I would have liked to see a more concrete foreign buyers ban. I would have also liked to see tighter measures for house flippers and more to address domestic speculation, especially by big corporations who are financializing our housing market. Uh, the only thing they committed to in terms of the big corporate real estate buyers was they're going to have a committee and undergo reviews. But we know this is a big issue. There have been books written about this issue. There are so many experts on it. It just seems like a stall tactic to uh, avoid you know, probably annoying some liberal donors. 
Jesse, from your perspective, you know, you were talking about the idea that we're spending in areas perhaps that we didn't need to spend in and we're not spending in areas where we certainly need to be looking at, like health spending. I mean, looking at the budget as a whole, do you get the sense that the government has really kind of taken into account other areas where there could be shocks on the horizon that this budget, I guess for lack of a better word, is surprise proof? I think they would like us to think that they have done that. I mean, there, there's a lot in the budget about making life more affordable and, you know, reducing inflation and things like that. Uh, but it, that's not what this budget is going to do. It's, it's actually going to increase inflation in Canada. It, it's a big spending budget. So, I no, I don't think that they addressed the big problems that we are currently facing. I mean, you know, healthcare is one of them. And I, I'm not going to pretend that just shoveling more money into healthcare is going to fix anything. But they did not they're not taking meaningful steps to fix Canadian healthcare. Defense is another big one that you know that we've uh, kind of run into recently with Russia's attack on Ukraine, um, and we've been underspending on defense for years. You know, our military has been underfunded. We don't have the equipment we need. We're well below the two percent NATO target, and this budget does not bring us up anywhere close to that. And it does not get our military the, the uh, equipment that it needs. And a lot of the spending is pushed out within the next four years. So who knows if that'll actually happen. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. One thing that was really looming over this budget was, as mentioned off the top, the pact, the coalition that isn't a coalition, the contract, whatever you want to call it, between the, the NDP and the Liberals. What do you suppose the impact of that pact was on this budget? I, I know we're, we're getting a national dental care program, but there wasn't much mention of the national pharmacare program that the NDPs want. Overall, what do we suppose the cost is of that to Canadians, Jesse? Dental care is a big one. I think it's about $5.3 billion over the next few years. Pharmacare, you're right, it was not budgeted for, but it was mentioned in the budget. So we know that that's coming probably sometime next year. There are other priorities that the NDP has, which will be included in future budgets, no doubt. I think what it has done is it, it has given the Trudeau government the opportunity to be less austere and um, to craft the budget that they wanted to craft in the first place, knowing that it will pass through this minority parliament. So in future years, again, we will, we will see new programs and higher spending, but it's, these are all things that the Liberals would like to have anyways, right? They're big on national pharmacare. I'm sure they have no problem with socialized dentistry. So it's, it's really a win-win for both parties. Uh, Sabrina, for you, do you get the sense that this is something that Jagmeet Singh is happy with? Do you figure he's getting all that he gave up in terms of his political credibility on the pact? Well, I think he's probably happy for his personal political career and upcoming pension. Uh, but I think in terms of 
the NDP's values and um, what they claim to represent, it's really lackluster uh, from the NDP perspective. I think it's a bad deal. They they didn't get much that, uh, like Jesse just said, the Liberals wouldn't have wanted to do anyways, which is quite interesting. The only thing really in this budget was the dental care provision. And even that's quite limited. It's going to be means tested, which is from a spending standpoint, a good thing that we're not going to overspend. But, you know, from the NDP's perspective, one of their big talking points has always been about universal healthcare, universal pharmacare, universal dental care. And that obviously was not in here. They didn't negotiate for that. Overall, like there's a lot of talk around the size of the budget, the size of the deficit. There's been talk about this dental care program and and you've raised some issues of areas that you felt that they fell short on. Are there parts of the budget that Canadians may not have known about due to the main focus of the coverage in the last 24 hours since the budget dropped that you figure Canadians need to know about? I'd say the big thing is the government's investment in innovation. Uh, Canada has a huge problem with innovation and productivity. We're slated last among um, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development Nations for our economic growth over the next 10 years. And this is something that the Liberals have basically ignored until this point and they actually acknowledged it in this budget and are trying to solve for it, whether they can or not, at least they're acknowledging the problem. And they are trying to support and incentivize research and development, which is really something Canada lags in. So hopefully they can be successful there. And it's something, while it's not the most sexy topic and it's not making headlines all the time, it's something that's really going to make a difference, whether future generations of Canadians will continue to accrue wealth and what our economic status is going to look like on the world stage. So it's something to pay attention to. And Jesse, what about for you? Is there an underreported story in this year's budget? There's a lot in the budget. Um, one thing that, that stuck out to me was that the government is going to start taxing e-liquids for uh, electronic cigarettes which they claim it's because, you know, kids or uh, teenagers are, are vaping too much. But, it you know, it really seems to me like this is a technology that has allowed many Canadians to quit smoking that is saving lives and making it more expensive is going to cause a lot of adults not to quit smoking and is, is going to cause, you know, a lot of people eventually to die. So it seems like something that we definitely should not be putting a tax on and the tax they're proposing is actually quite hefty. So that, I think, is one of the underreported stories in the budget. Now, I mean, you mentioned taxes. And one thing that I've heard from, especially from the NDP in the past and, and occasionally from the Liberals, is the idea that wealthy Canadians need to pay their fair share. And I saw a story from our, our National Post colleague, Chris Nardi, about targeting high-income earners with new minimum income taxes. Is this the kind of budget that, is tax heavy to help make up the budget shortfall or Canadians overall really going to feel it in their pocketbooks? Sabrina? I think that story that Christopher wrote was actually quite shocking that it was 28% of earners over $400,000 a year were paying less than a 15% tax rate, which Mm -hmm. is incredibly low. And there was another large percentage paying under 10% and even some paying nothing. So I think instituting the minimum tax rate and making sure that's adhered to is important. That's not really making new taxes. That's making sure that the current tax code is followed in good faith. And I think also giving more money to the CRA to investigate 
high income earners and also money laundering and tax fraud, which is a huge issue in Canada. And we've been turning a blind eye for way too long is a very good thing. Jesse, what are your thoughts on the notion of making sure that people who are in the, I guess, the top half percent of Canadian income earners are paying what they're supposed to pay? It's a good NDP talking point, um, so I'm not <laughs> surprised um, that the Liberals have taken it and run with it. But, you know, the fact is, is that high-income Canadians do pay a lot of taxes. There may be some inequalities um, that need to be addressed, but the idea that they are just freeloading, I, I think, is is completely untrue. You know, I would personally like to see a much flatter tax landscape. High-income earners, they make more, so 10% of, you know, a few million dollars is going to be more than, you know, 20, you know, 15% of 90,000. But the big problem I think that we have in this country is that you ask the question of whether or not Canadians will be better off or worse off. And it really depends on who you are. There's going to be some tax breaks and tax incentives for certain people or certain companies that are engaged in certain businesses and others are going to face a higher tax burden. So it, it just, it makes it more complicated. It's going to be a boon for accountants come tax time. Um, but I, I don't think overall that it, that it helps Canadians or that it's a good thing. I will say I agree with Jesse that I don't think overall it's going to help Canadians that much. And for that reason, while making over $400,000 a year certainly sounds like a lot of money, most high net worth individuals don't make most of their money via income these days. And they hold a lot of their wealth in assets. And there hasn't been really any focus on shifting the tax code to focus less on income and perhaps more on actual wealth and assets, which is, you know, we're seeing those issues snowball when it comes to inflation, when it comes to um, the housing crisis as well. And that was something the Liberals have completely ignored up until this point. Now, one last question for the both of you. I know, Sabrina, I get a sense that it, your answer may be people looking to get into the housing market, but I'm just wondering if you had to look at losers in this year's budget, who would you pick? Yeah, I would say young Canadians in general. I didn't see a lot that were targeted at millennials or Gen Z or even the upcoming generations behind us, uh, whether that's housing or other affordability measures or just issues like wage stagnation and even healthcare. I mean, we know that our healthcare system is falling apart. This is something we're going to have to address eventually. And maybe it's not throwing a ton of money at it, but really looking at how we can get more bang for our buck. And again, that just seems like another ball they're pushing down the road and future generations are going to have to deal with. Mm -hmm. Jesse, last word to you on this. Um, I'm going to say there's two big losers. One is uh, the Canadian oil and gas industry, which is going to factor in to the government's net zero initiatives, um, which they're really doubling down on in this budget. There's some, some tax incentives for carbon capture and storage, but they're facing a much higher carbon tax burden and regulatory burden. And the other loser is my grandchildren, who will have a huge debt to pay off. On that note, we'll leave it there. Jesse Klein, Sabrina Mado, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. 10.3 is produced by Sean Knox, theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guests, Jesse Klein and Sabrina Mado. More from them at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. <laughs>